0: I'm gonna go ahead and dismiss kids for children's church. So, kids, kindergarten through third grade, you have the freedom to run, walk, whatever you do to the back. Parents, they'll be here at the end of service. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. We'll be in Matthew chapter 8, uh, verses 18 through 22 um, this morning. Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. We're walking through the book of Matthew again. We do have some more of those ESV journals in the back of the resource table. If you want to grab one of those for you to keep, those are great resources to follow along, take your notes, have it all right there with you um, when we're all done with this. So Matthew chapter 8, looking at verses 18 through 22. Let me read that passage to us. These are the words of Matthew as inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says this, now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the airs have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead dead. To bury their own dead, let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the opportunity to open your word. I pray that you would give us a sense of humility this morning that you would give us just an, an opportunity um, to be able to hear from you and what your word has for us. Yes, this in Jesus name. Amen. I'm old, so if someone could grab the light for me, that would be amazing um, for me to be able to see. Or you're just going to get a message that is mostly my notes. And mostly stuff I'm going to make up that I guess from what I can't see. No, thanks for that. So this morning we're going to look at this passage of Scripture again from Matthew chapter 8, 18 to 22, and looking at the responses to Jesus. I'm going to give you a little bit of insights into my family life, and insights in how you can be praying specifically for my wife who has to live with this guy. One of the things that I love to do, and Katie will say this, one of my spiritual gifts is annoyance. That's one of my spiritual gifts. I am supernaturally good at annoying people, not just naturally good. I am God-gifted in annoying people. I'm very, very good at that. And one of the things I love to do is that when Katie is doing something and asks for help to do a thing, and nobody helps her do that thing, and then she ends up figuring out what it is, what I love to do in responses to that is to say, yay, we did it, everybody. We did it. And I go around and I high-five everybody in the house, and Katie loves it when I do that. Case in point, just a couple of days ago, she was looking for her calendar. She was on the phone. It was not within a two-foot radius of me, so I couldn't find it at the moment. And so later on that day, Katie found her calendar in the van, came back into the house and said, I found my calendar. And guess what my response was? We did it, everybody. We found the calendar. High five, everybody. Katie looks at me with a loving eye and says, you did nothing. I love it. It's fun. It's wonderful. I say that story to us even right now. She's looking at me like, I love you. I'm obligated to stay with you. Thank you for staying with me all of these years. But that's not at all the response that Katie desires in that moment. And it's definitely not the response that Katie deserves in that moment. And this is what I want to kind of look at this morning in this passage of Scripture with Jesus, is that Jesus is going along and ministering and doing supernatural things, and He's getting some responses— That he neither desires nor deserves in this moment. What we see in this passage is Jesus is kind of telling us what he actually is asking of his followers. Of what it actually means to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus has already shown his authority in the law over sickness, the spiritual realm. But now it's personal in these few verses. Jesus wants us to see his authority and his power and his glory over everything, including our lives. This passage of Scripture that we see in Matthew chapter 8, Luke also records this in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. So this is a similar passage before, um, between the two things. Luke gives a few more details than Matthew does in this um, passage of Scripture. We can also find it there as well. And what I think Jesus is doing in the middle of this is he's, he's kind of pausing in the midst of the hoopla. He's pausing in the midst of the hysteria, if you will, for a check. To check in the middle of some spectacular things to make sure that those who are following him are following him for the right reasons, are pursuing him for the right reasons. So in the middle of some pretty spectacular, miraculous things— we see Matthew recording what feels a little out of place. Because last week, we learned about some miraculous healings. This next week, we'll learn about some calming the storm and casting out demons. So several really miraculous things in a row. But Matthew kind of shoves this in the middle of this. Because I think Jesus wants us to pause in the middle of the spectacular and check our hearts. And to make sure that we're truly following, that we're really, really on board with what Jesus is doing and teaching. What I want to share with you this morning is three different responses from from what we see in this passage of Scripture. The first response is an emotional yes, an emotional yes. The second response that we're going to look at is an excuse-ridden no. And then finally, we're going to look at number three, an earnest whatever. And I don't mean a sarcastic whatever, I mean, Jesus, I'm up for anything, whatever. And so we'll see this morning, number one, is an emotional yes. And so in the middle of all of this, Jesus is doing some pretty miraculous things. We see verses 19 and 20. And a scribe came up to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We see here is a scribe coming up to Jesus. If you don't know what a scribe is, a scribe is someone who is a teacher of the law, who knew the law really well, who knew the Old Testament really well, who kind of made it their job to make sure that they understood all of the law and were explaining it well and helping people to apply it well. And as we read through the book of Matthew, the scribes are often not written about in highlight, in high regards. It's often the scribes and the Pharisees who are the ones who were complaining about Jesus, who were coming against Jesus, who were trying to trip Him up, who who didn't like the things that He was doing, was trying to get people to go away from Him. So it's very significant that in this moment a scribe is coming to Jesus and saying, wherever you go, Jesus, I'm up for it. I will follow you anywhere you want to go. This is a huge deal. For this scribe to come to Jesus and publicly say, Jesus, I want to follow you wherever you go. And let's be honest, up to this point, following Jesus has been amazing, has it not? Following Jesus has been one magic trick and cool talk after another. It's been one amazing speech, right? 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew is this amazing sermon that Jesus gives. That at the end of it, they say, this guy talks like nobody else talks. This guy has an authority that nobody else talks like this before. Then he immediately begins to heal. Heals a leper by touching him. Takes his cleanness and overwhelms the uncleanness of the leper. And from a distance, he heals a centurion servant without even being there. He just says, he is healed. And in that moment, that servant is healed. Goes into Peter and heals his mother-in-law with a word. And is casting out demons up to this point. This is an amazing ride. I'm with the scribe. Jesus, I want to follow the show. I want to do whatever you're doing. This is incredible. I want to see what you have up your sleeve next. And we'll see in the next verses, he's got more up his sleeve. He can calm storms, and he can cast out demons, and he can do incredible things. And the scribe in this moment, I believe, is responding emotionally to what he's seeing and hearing. But I don't think he's really thought through what it actually means to follow Jesus. Because as we know, up to this point, this is not the whole story of Jesus, is it? We see as we continue to walk through Matthew the crowds get smaller and smaller and smaller. I mean, the persecution gets greater and greater and greater. And Jesus knows in his heart, this path that I'm on is leading to my death. And if you follow me, may also lead to your death. Are you willing to keep walking with me? Are you willing to keep going after me? And I think as we look in the life of the scribe, I think we can look in our own hearts and say there are times in our own hearts and our lives that— that we've been moved by something, and it creates in us kind of an all-or-nothing response. I remember back in the day—and this is going to be a sensitive topic for some of you, but you're used to it—I remember back in the day, I was kind of an NFL fan by proxy, kind of on the outside and wasn't really following any teams, kind of liked to watch the football games, but didn't really like any teams. My team is the University of Kentucky, not really well known for their football program Um, after that. But several years ago, there's a superstar quarterback by the name of Tim Couch, and Tim Couch was going to rescue the Cleveland Browns. They were going to start all over again. A new team was coming back to Cleveland. My Kentucky quarterback was going to be his his quarterback, and I went all in. I was like, all right, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. I'm following Tim Couch. And about game three, I was like, this was a terrible mistake. I now know the frustration of Cleveland Browns fans, and I put my jerseys away, I put it all the way, and I said, well, that was fun for a time. Look over there, everybody. I didn't say anything, and isn't Tim Couch funny, and all of those kinds of things. And I was in that response. I was all or nothing. I was, I'm a Cleveland, I'm going to be a diehard Cleveland fan, until I remembered and saw, oh, this is what it actually means to be a Cleveland fan. You know that last night, right? This is what it actually means to be a Cleveland Browns fan. low uh, results after all of that. And so I see this, and I see this is true in all of us. We get caught up in the hype. We get caught up in the the emotionalness of a thing. We see this in John chapter 6. Jesus had just fed 5,000 and went away from the crowds for a while, and people were looking for him, looking for his next stunt, if you will, and they finally found Jesus after all of that. And Jesus responds to them. Jesus answered, saying, truly, truly, I say to you, you're not seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. The reason you're chasing after me is because you want to see the next trick. You want to see what I can do next. I think there are many of us who are responding in this way. There are many of us who are moved by a song, moved by a prayer, moved by a conference, moved by a sermon, moved by an answer to prayer, and not saying there's anything wrong with any of those things, but are moved in such a way that we're like, I'm all in. I want to follow Jesus wherever he goes. I can see the spectacular things that he's doing. I want this. I want this in my life. I like this feeling. I like this experience. I like seeing what Jesus is doing. I want all of this then Jesus's response to the scribe is a little strange. Because you would think Jesus would say, come on, let's go. Join the crowd. Follow me. And get in the boat. Let's go. But what does he say to this man? Look back at verse 20. He says that the foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He uses this term, Son of Man. Jesus likes to use this phrase about himself— We see many, many times throughout the Gospels, Jesus referring to himself as the Son of Man. And I see this when Jesus is saying this as he's referring to himself as Son of Man to show that he is the Messiah. He is the one they've been waiting for. He is the one they've been hoping for, for generation after generation. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of Man. He is the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7 that says, I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, to the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is incredible language about Jesus, is it not? This is incredible language describing the Son of Man. Jesus says, I am the Son of Man. But what does he say next? and I'm homeless. I'm the Son of Man coming in power and a glory and authority over all nations, and I have nowhere to lay my head. You still want to follow me. You still want to chase after me. You're still as excited as you were before. And this passage isn't so much about Jesus being penniless, but homeless. Because Jesus knows that this world is not his true home. And Jesus knows that any moment his father could tell him, go there or go there or go there. And Jesus would need to pack it up and go wherever his father was leading him to go. This isn't about Jesus's inability to afford a house. This is about Jesus's willingness to say yes to whatever his father was asking him to do. And if you, Jesus is saying to the scribe, if you want to follow me, I don't, I'm going to do whatever the father tells me to do. And if tomorrow he tells me to pack up and move to another town, I will pack up and move to another town. If tomorrow he tells me to get in this boat and crow across the sea, I will go across the sea. the sea. There is no real comfort or stability in following Jesus except in being with Jesus. Jesus is basically telling the scribe, if you want your plans ruined every single day, follow me. If you want to set aside your desires, you want to set aside the emotion, you want to set aside the experience, when things are rough, when things are dull, when things—when your prayers aren't being answered, when things are awful in your life, are you still going to follow me? When you don't see me doing the tricks, when maybe you don't see me at all, are you still going to follow me? Jesus knew this man's heart. This man, the scribe, wanted all of the fame, all of the experience, all of the act of Jesus— without Jesus. I'm on all the excitement and the experience, but if that means doing hard things and following you and not having a home, go on. Go on without me. This is a heartbreaking interaction. Someone who comes to Jesus, a scribe, if you will, and for many of us as we're looking through this, and if we're trying to gain an audience, if we're trying to gain influence in the world, a scribe would be a really good one to have on your team. But Jesus tells him this in the scribe. We don't hear from the scribe again, so we only can assume that he kind of faded into the background and said, nah, no thanks. I'd rather not do this. This is the same thing we see in Matthew chapter 7. We already read this in the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, why did we not prophesy in your name or cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Again, it's possible to have all the hype without the relationship. It's possible to have all the excitement and the experience and not have Jesus. It's possible for us to say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go as long as the show is good. As long as you keep answering my prayers. As long as you keep providing for me in the way I think you should provide for me. As long as my plans continue down the path that I would like them to continue down. I will follow you wherever you go. For many of us, and I'm going to challenge you, for some of us this morning, we have said that excited yes to Jesus. And things in your life are getting hard. They're getting difficult. They're not working out the way you thought they would work out. And you're going in your brain and saying, if this is following Jesus, I'm not sure I'm on board. This doesn't feel as good as it did in the beginning. This isn't as exciting as it was in the beginning. But Jesus is calling for a response of saying, yes, wherever you will go. My question to you is, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? And I know probably most of you immediately were like, yeah, of course, Jesus is enough. But if you really search in your heart, if you're really in those dark nights of the soul, if you're really in those moments of sorrow and sadness or depression or anxiety, if you're really, really honest with yourself and with the Lord, I think all of us will say at some point, I don't think you're enough. I like you, Jesus. I like what you're doing. I've heard good stuff about you, but I'd also like to be healthy. I'd also like to have a good job. I'd also like to have my finances together. I'd also like my kids to listen to me. I'd also like all of these other things. And all these other things are gone, and I don't know if, Jesus, you're going to be enough. But my call to you, my exclamation to you, my plead to you is that Jesus is enough. He is all you will ever need. Coming to Jesus is not Jesus plus the show. Jesus plus answered prayer. Jesus plus your life going the way you want it, it is Jesus and Jesus only. And that is enough, and not just enough. An abundance of enough is in Jesus. So first, we see this emotional yes. I'll do whatever, but haven't really thought deeply about what it means to follow Jesus. Again, this is not the response that Jesus desires or Jesus deserves in this moment. Secondly, we see the excuse-ridden no. The excuse-ridden no. Look with me in verses 21 and 22. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. We see in Luke chapter 9, verse 61, there's an additional um, statement there that someone says, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Same kind of response in both of these individuals. So this is a disciple who is coming up to Jesus. I don't believe this is one of the 12 disciples. Disciple is used often in the Gospels as a general follower of Jesus. There were the 12 disciples, the apostles, those were following him. But disciple was often used as just kind of a general follower of Jesus. I think this was a guy who was on the edge all of the time who was kind of just on the outskirts of the crowds regularly. Yes, he followed Jesus. Yes, he went from place to place that Jesus went, but he was always just on the outside. I think he was a guy who had one foot in and one foot out on a regular basis. And here's the thing. The disciple wasn't saying anything evil to Jesus. He wasn't saying, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I got to rob a bank real quick. Let me go rob this bank. I got a litter of puppies I got to kick. Let me go kick those puppies, and then I'll be right back, and I'll follow you. That's not what he's saying. That would be an easy thing for this disciple if he said, I'm doing something evil. Let me get this evil out of the way, and then I'll follow you. But it's not what he says. He says something good. It is his responsibility to take care of his family. And so he's saying, I need to take care of my family. I don't know the situation with the father could have already been dead or dying or just old, and this guy coming and saying, listen, I need to take care of this. It is my responsibility as a son to take care of my father. Let me do that first, and then let me come and follow you. And again, Jesus, surprisingly, doesn't just say, I'll wait here for you. I'll give you three days, and this is where I'll be. Go take care of that. That's great. I heard your father was sick. He's a good guy. Go take care of him. Then come back, circle back around. We'll be right here waiting for you. He doesn't say that. What has he said? Let your dad die. <laughs> Basically what he says. Let him die. I need you to follow me. Your father's death isn't going to change anything. You following me is going to change everything. So in this moment, again, it seems harsh, but he knows the man's heart. He knows what that's ultimately this man is saying is, no, I'm not going to follow you. He's just another excuse as to why he's not following Jesus. The disciple is basically saying, when all other obligations and expectations are done, then I will follow you. But what happens in this world? There's a never-ending list of obligations, isn't there? There's a never-ending list of expectations, isn't there? So what this disciple is ultimately saying is, no thanks. Jesus is trying to press in. I think Jesus even knew this guy as one who kind of followed on the outskirts and on this moment was saying, now or never, buddy. Now's the time. Are you going to follow me now? Now's the time to give your heart fully to me. Is now the time you're going to step into this fully? And this man says, not today. Not today. Which is ultimately saying, not ever. This is rusty. Rusty. Telling his dad, Clark, when he's being asked to help and look through the lights, this is Rusty saying, I got to go to bed, got to brush my teeth, I got to feed the hog, still got that homework to do, do the laundry, wash the car, still got those bills to pay, and just fades away. And this is us. When Jesus presses into us and says, follow me, and we kind of fade into the background. We're not outwardly saying no. We can't say no to Jesus, right? We'll say yes, but to Jesus. Because that's better. That sounds better, doesn't it? To say, "I, I will. I'm on board. I love you, Jesus. Cool stuff. Heard great things about you. I got about eight things to do real quick. I'll come back around. I'm all in. This is what we do, isn't it? We fill it up with obligation. What is Jesus's response to this man? He says, follow me. He doesn't give him another opportunity. He doesn't say, I'll wait. He doesn't say, go and take care of those things. He said, right now, follow me. Now is the time to follow me. Let the, be, the, the dead bury their own dead. Now, to be very clear here, Jesus is not saying caring about your family is wrong. It's not at all what he's saying here. This is not his, his, his statement here whatsoever. Jesus is saying here—he's going into the, the heart of this man and saying, where do your loyalties actually lie? Where are your priorities? Where is your heart in all of this? Are you fully on board with me, or are you distracted by worldly things? He says, for the dead to bury their own dead. That's a weird thing to say, Jesus. Sometimes it's okay for us to say, Jesus, that's a weird thing to say. He's not saying dead people, zombies, bury other dead people. That's not what he's saying here at all. What I think Jesus is saying here is let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. Those who are of this earth do earthly things. You have a higher priority. You have a higher plan for you, a higher expectation for you because you are spiritually alive. There are greater things for you to take care of, greater things for you to be concerned about than earthly, worldly things. Again, not that those things are evil or wrong, but Jesus is saying in this moment, where is your priority? Jesus is asking this disciple to come close once for all. And the disciple said, nah, not today. What Christ is calling you to takes priority over anything in this world. And we have some big any things in our lives, don't we? There's some big things that we would like to accomplish, big things that we would like to do, big expectations that are placed on us, big, very real things in our lives. But our first response needs to be is, Jesus, are you calling me to do this? Are you asking me to do this? Or is this a thing I can leave to someone else so that I can follow after you, so that I can entrust this to you, so that I can believe that you are with me? This is not, again, the the response that Jesus desires or deserves. He doesn't desire us to give him a list of excuses. He doesn't deserve for us to give him a list of excuses. What he desires and deserves for us is a yes, Lord, whatever you want from me, whatever I had on my agenda for today, I'm setting aside to be obedient and to follow after you in this moment. Finally, this morning we see number three, an earnest whatever. Whatever. And again, what I mean by that is not a sarcastic, is not the whatever your 14-year-old tells you. It's not that whatever. It's the whatever of sincerity, whatever you want for me, Jesus, I want for me. Whatever you're asking of me, it is a earnest, I don't know the future, it doesn't matter, I'm going to trust you anyways. It's, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I don't know where I'm going to lay my head tomorrow. I don't know what my plans are for tomorrow, but I'm going to trust you anyways, because you are my Lord, you are my Savior, you are the Son of Man, full of glory and power and authority, and I trust you with my life. So whatever you ask of me is a yes and amen. This is what Jesus deserves and desires. You see, Jesus has authority over our very lives. Every bit of us, every decision we make, every desire for us, He has authority over all of that. And it's easy for us, I think just like the crowds, to say yes and amen to Jesus' authority when it's out there. When it's healing someone else. When it's telling someone else what to do, when it's unpacking the law for someone else, when it's, when, it, when it's a thing outside of us, yes, Lord, I love it. I love the authority. I love the show. I love what you're doing. Please keep doing more. What's the difference between the scribe and the disciple? Eye contact. <laughs> it was Jesus looking him square in the eye and saying, what about you? Do you want to follow me? Does it matter to you where you lay your head at night? Does that wrap you up in worry and anxiety? Do the things of this earth grab a hold of you and pull you away from me? Jesus looks a square in the eye and says, I have authority over all of that. Everything in your heart, everything in your mind, everything in your desires. I have authority over all of that. Are you willing to trust me with all of those things? When Jesus looks a square in the eye, it's hard. To give in to that authority at times. Because what's in us, what's in our hearts at times is a, an immediate pushback, isn't it? We don't like to be told what to do. I think I've story, told this story before, but I'll tell it again. There is a Thai restaurant back where we used to live that it, apparently it was their goal to cover every square inch of that restaurant with a sign telling you not to do something. Don't touch the blinds, don't do this to the table, don't do this. What does that bring up in me every time I ate that at that Thai restaurant? Touching the blinds, doing this to the table, doing this to—that's in me, and that is not from the Lord. That's not from Him. But when Jesus looks us square in the eye and says, "Will you follow me and do whatever I'm asking you to do?" Let's be really honest. Our first gut reaction, our natural reaction, is no, no, thanks. I don't like giving up control. I don't like giving up authority. I don't like giving up any of that. I'd like to know where I'm laying my head at night. i like to know what my plans are for tomorrow. i like to know that everything is going to be provided for me. And if that means following after you and not knowing all of those things, no thanks. But Jesus is an authority we can trust. We see in verse 18, Jesus saw a crowd around him. He gave orders to go over to the other side. Again, this seems strange. If we look at Jesus's—the way he did his ministry, the way he moved around, it's not a great business model. It's not super effective in all of the PowerPoints that I've seen in my lifetime about how to grow and how to, how to multiply and how to—it's not great. Jesus is getting all of these crowds around him. We just read last week that everyone was bringing their sick to see Jesus. Crowds were gathering around him, left and right, and what is his response? I got to get away from the crowds. Let's go to the other side. Because if there's crowds, they're not on the other side. It seems insane. If Jesus' goal was growing a crowd and building an audience, it was foolish of him to say, let's stop, let's pause, let's go to the other side. This is the time to strike while the iron's hot, isn't it? If he wants to grow a giant crowd, but a giant audience, if he wants to take over the Romans, now's the time. Continue to fan that flame bigger and bigger and bigger crowds, more magic tricks, do more things to gather more and more people around you. But in this moment, Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Why? Because his concern isn't for an audience. His concern is for followers. So Jesus, in this moment, is saying, I can see it. I can see it kind of getting in your eyes, this hysteria building in your eyes. Who's going to follow me when this isn't happening? Who's going to follow me to the other side when you don't know what the other side of the lake entails? Who's going to follow me, quite literally, as we'll see next week, into the eye of a storm to get to the other side? Who's going to follow me through all of these things? Jesus is not looking for those to stand by. He's looking for followers who will follow him for him, not for the show. Not for the gifts they receive or the feelings that they feel, but for Him and Him alone. He's not looking for bystanders or gawkers or entertainment juckies or those who are wishy-washy. He longs for and deserves true followers. Those who will joyfully submit to His leading. Those whose lives are centered around Him. Those who see Him and love Him both as Savior and as Lord. Jesus is looking for disciples like His disciples. Who in John chapter 6, verses 66 through 69 says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, Do you want to go away as well? What a heartbreaking question for Jesus to ask. But Peter, in all of his faults, in all of his getting ahead of himself, nails it. Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter nails it. Nowhere else to go. We gave it all up. Even if we did go back, we gave it all up, and we gave it all up to follow you. And this is the earnest whatever This is Peter saying, I gave it all up, whatever you want from me, because I know everything I need is in you, not in your stunts, not in what you do, but in you. You satisfy me with everything that I need. It's the earnest whatever. And as we see it all the way through Scripture, we see it in Abraham, when God tells him, go to the land I will show you. And Abraham takes his first step and says, I don't know where that is, but I'm following you wherever you go. It's Joshua. Joshua leading his people at a ridiculous command to walk around this city until it falls down. And what does he do? He walks around the city until it falls down. It's Isaiah saying, here am I, send me. It's Jesus in his words of the garden of saying, not my will, but yours be done. It's the Apostle Paul's response that for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. When Jesus on day one said, I want to show this man how much he has to suffer for the sake of my name, and Paul says, bring it on for the sake of the name and the glory of Jesus. It's in the faith of those in Hebrews who were tortured, and mocked, and flogged, and imprisoned, and stoned, and sawn in two, and killed with the sword, and destitute, and afflicted, and mistreated, but by faith gained their reward. It is in C.T. Studd, missionary to India, China, and Africa, who said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for Him. It's in Hudson Taylor, missionary to China who said, God isn't looking for people of great faith, but for individuals ready to follow him. It's in Jim Elliott, missionary to Ecuador, who said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot gain to to gain what he cannot lose. It's in Amy Carmichael, missionary to India, who said, all along, let us remember we are not asked to understand, but simply to obey. This is what Jesus is calling us to. This is the right response This is the deserved response to Jesus, is yes, whatever. And let me be very honest and clear with you. Discipleship, following Jesus, is not about perfection. It's not about doing everything right all the time. It doesn't mean we're going to do everything right. It doesn't mean that all the time when Jesus calls us, we're going to jump up immediately and say, yes, I'm going to do whatever you ask. Sometimes we'll get it wrong. Sometimes we'll need to be convinced. Sometimes it'll take us longer to obey than it should take us to obey. Following Jesus isn't about perfection. It's about trust. Do I trust you, Jesus? Do I trust you to give it all up for you? Do I trust you to be obedient when it's hard? Do I trust you to be obedient when no one else is being obedient? Do I trust you when I don't see what the future holds? Do I trust you when I don't have a pillow to lay my head on? When I trust you when my bank account is at the end? Do I trust you when it feels like everything is crumbling around me? Do I trust you? It's about trusting him in that moment. And it's also about trusting Jesus when we get it wrong. When I say in that moment, I don't really trust you. I'd rather do it my own way. It's also about trusting Jesus that when I come back and I say, I'm sorry I didn't trust you, Jesus says, welcome home. Welcome home. I'm glad you're here. Let's keep walking. Let's keep moving forward. Discipleship is about trust. Some of us balk at the idea of authority. When you use the word authority and submit, you push back real hard about it because we've seen it corrupt and broken. We've been manipulated or abused by authority. Our own sinful nature tells us we don't like authority on our lives, but we push back against Jesus. But here's the difference. Jesus isn't like us. Jesus isn't like your boss. He's not like your husband or your wife. He's not like your kids. He's not like your neighbor. He's not like the president. He's not like a king. He's not like anybody in this world. Jesus is is supernaturally better and different than anything that you have ever come across. And at the core of Jesus is holiness and goodness and justice and grace and mercy. And I can trust someone like that. I can trust that when this Jesus says, go, even if I don't know where I'm going, I can go. I can trust this Jesus when he says, do this, and I don't want to do that. I can trust him that it's still the right thing to do and that he will provide for me in the end. Do I trust Jesus's authority in my life? That's the question. Do I I really believe in my heart of hearts that Jesus wants what's best for me? Do I really believe in my heart of hearts that it's good that Jesus tells me to do something? That his commandments are not burdensome? Do I trust that Jesus will provide all that I need? And in essence, what Jesus is saying both to the scribe and to the disciple is, Do you trust me? Both of them said no. And so that's the question I have for you this morning Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust him? When the emotions are gone, when the feelings of connectedness just aren't there, when he's saying, I would, I need you to quit your job and go do this other thing, when he's saying, I I would really like you to walk across the street and talk to your neighbor and ask how you can be praying for them, when he's saying, maybe it's, now's not a good time to pick at your spouse, maybe kind of swallow that one and say, no, I'm going to bear with that one and be okay, and not push back so hard against that. When you're at school and kids are doing things that you know are not honoring to the Lord, but you know that if you don't do that thing, then friendships are going to change and adjust and be different from that point forward? Are you willing to give up things that the earth, that the world is saying? you got to read this. you got to watch this. you got to listen to this. Willing to say, no thanks. I'm trusting Jesus for what's good for me and not the world for what's good for me. Jesus in this moment is calling for a response, and so I think it's the right thing for me to do right now in this moment is to call for a response. Right now, where you're sitting, some of you have not yet made the decision to follow Jesus. Some of you are just checking it out. Some of you are searching. Some of you don't know what's going on. Some of you have heard lots of things. Some of you are kind of on the outside call for responses this morning is, today is the day. Jesus lived for you. He lived perfectly knowing that you can't and never will. He died the death that you deserve. You deserve punishment for your sin, and you know that in your heart of hearts, that you deserve discipline for you. You know that. Jesus has taken that for you. Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day, to give you new life, and some of you this morning just need to say yes to Jesus, I will follow you. Some of you this morning just need to look to the heavens and say, forgive me, Jesus, I am trusting in your life, in your death, in your resurrection. And if that's you this morning, do it, and immediately after service, run to me and say, I did this, I, what's next? Run to somebody else and say, I did this, what's next? Some of you this morning have said yes to Jesus, but you're, you're backing away. It's getting hard, it's getting difficult, the situation isn't working out the way you thought it would work out, the emotions are gone, all of those things. Some of you this morning just just have been standing on the outside for too long. i have just been on the outskirts just kind of hoping things will work out, hoping your schedule will lighten up, hoping things will get better, hoping whatever. Your response this morning is just simple. Confess it before the Lord and say, ultimately what that is, is I'm not trusting you, Jesus. I'm beginning to trust in myself. I'm beginning to trust in my emotions, and in my strength, and in my plans, and it's not working out super great when I do that. Confess it for the Lord, and hear Jesus say to you, welcome home. Welcome home. So I'm calling for response this morning. I'm not asking you to do anything publicly, or to stand, or to write on a card, but I'm asking you to look into your heart, as the music team comes and we sing this last song, as we go through all of these things, I want us to, to think and to ponder, God, what are you doing in my heart? What, are you, what is the response that you would have for me in this? Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will sing this last song. God, I thank you for this passage. I thank you, Jesus, that, that you are trustworthy, that you are one that I can put all of my life into, that you are one that I can trust with everything. God, forgive me at times when I've hesitated. Forgive me at times when I've, I've made huge promises that I didn't follow up on. Forgive me for those times. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, help me even now in this moment to earnestly, sincerely, Jesus, to say, yes, wherever you go, whatever you want for me, I want for myself. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my desires. I trust you with my hopes. I trust you with everything in me. Because Jesus, you are trustworthy. You are the Son of Man. You are the one who is full of authority and power. You are the one who is full of grace and mercy. You are the one who will strengthen me to do everything you ask me to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us as we sing.